Hello everybody, I'm Paul. And I'm Jamie. And this is another episode of Criminally Disturbed. And we're back, guys and gals. Jamie's got one for us. I got a cult. Oh shit. Well, we do we do cults. I mean, you know, we don't discriminate. I I love cults. I don't want to be in one, but I do think that they're very interesting. What are you talking about? You are one. You are in one. What cult? Our cult. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, there's a lot of interesting cult cases, cult stories, whatever you want to call them. I mean, there's a lot of interesting stories about cults out there and things. There's a lot of interesting cults. They all, well, the majority of them are up to no good damaging yeah to someone's life mm-hmm. to someone's livelihood to someone's everything their family their friends you know and so i hate it for those that are in one that don't believe that they're in one uh, if you have a loved one that is happens to be in a cult i mean try to get them out <laughs> That's all I can say. Well, that, and you got to feel bad for the family members, too, that know that that person's in a cult. And That's what I'm saying. Yeah. What do you do? I know. That's what, what I'm saying. What do you do? That's why you feel bad for the family members. Yeah. That's that's what I'm saying. Because it's hard know. to get a person out. Try to get them out. Yeah. Kidnap them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Waterboard them until they... Don't waterboard them. Waterboard them until they renounce their cultisms culty ways okay you'd be saving their life believe me roke terrio who is this one on this one is pretty gnarly too except for this one he didn't think he was a doctor um this is adolfo constanzo and sarah aldrete is constanzo a real name yes okay Sources, Murderpedia. Oh, I've used that a lot. Yeah, which is actually the the article that I used from Murderpedia was written by Michael Newton. Yeah. I watched an episode of Deadly Cults, which is on the Oxygen Network. Okay. An article from Newsweek and newspapers.com. What is that? You know, that's that awesome place where I like to go and get my info. Okay. Yep. Are you ready? I am. Grab your handle. Let's go. Mark James Kilroy was born on March the 5th, 1968 in Chicago, Illinois. For real? For real. His parents were Jim Kilroy, who was a chemical engineer, and Helen, who was a volunteer paramedic. Right after Mark was born, they moved to Santa Fe, Texas. Okay. Mark excelled in academics and athletics. He played baseball, basketball, and golf. He was in the Boy Scouts of America, and he was an honor student and on the student council at Santa Fe High School. All right. He was in his junior year at the University of Texas at Austin as a pre-med student. UT Austin. Yeah. So we're going to 1989. On March the 11th, which was a blessed day, my son was born that day. On March 11th, 1989, school had let out for spring break. 
So Mark and three of his friends booked a Sheraton suite in South Padre Island, Texas. Oh, shit. They hit the beach, hit the bars, chatted up with the women, and on March 14th, they were actually in Matamoros, Mexico. What? Yeah. Okay. So... This was an easy drive or stroll across the Rio Grande River from Brownsville, Texas. Like, Oh, could, my God. They were in Brownsville? Yeah. So, you could cross from Brownsville mm-hmm. over in Matamoros. So, the friends had been in Matamoros March 14th. It's like 2 a.m. in the morning. They're at the bridge to cross back into Brownsville. And Mark's like, I got to go to the bathroom. So his friends are like, okay, well, we'll go ahead and cross the bridge into Brownsville. And I'm assuming this is within eyesight. And Mark's like, I'll go to the bathroom and then I'll cross the bridge and meet up with you guys. And they're like, okay. Mark never showed up. So he was on the Mexico side. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. The next day, his friends did report his disappearance to police. Mark's body was found approximately four weeks later. His brain was missing. And the his, fuck? Yeah. And his heart had been cut out. Heart being cut out? Okay, we've seen that before. Mm-hmm. I mean, not physically, but we've heard it in the story. Mm-hmm. But the brain? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm stunned. Yeah, I'm, and I'm going to give you the backstory as to why. I don't know if I want it. And you're going to shake your head and be like, that's fucking stupid. But I, I don't know that. I, I'm trying to think of every stupid thing out there, and there's only one thing that I'm coming up with. And you don't have to say, okay, you know, I don't want to ruin anything. So if you want me to take this out, I will. Mm-hmm. Did somebody eat his brain to gain his knowledge? No. Okay. Continue. Okay. So. We're going to begin with our protagonist. Is that the word you would use? Our namesake for the story. The protagonist is the hero. Oh, sh- oh well, this The fool- antagonist is the villain. Okay, there we go. Well, this fool is not the protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> That's my learning for y'all. <laughs> okay. Okay. Adolfo de Jesus Costanzo was born in Miami on November the 1st, 1962. His mother, Delia Gonzalez, was a 15-year-old Cuban immigrant. His father was another teenage Cuban immigrant. Um, They didn't give his father's deets, so that's all I got about his father. Okay. Um, But his parents' marriage lasted less than a year. When Adolfo was six months old, Delia had her son blessed by a Haitian priest of Palo Mayombe. Okay. She was told that her son was a chosen one and destined for great power. Now, I'm sure you're probably wondering, what is Palo Mayombe? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to tell you. It is an ancient religion brought to Cuba by Congolese slaves. And, of course, from Cuba, it spread. It draws no line between black and white magic. It leaves the practitioner to choose his own path without prejudice. So, doing the research on this, there was a lot out there that, oh, it's black magic, it's bad, it's blah, 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 what it blah, sounded blah. like. Yeah. Well, it can be, 
but it could also be used for good. It just depends okay. on the practitioner. Kind of like voodoo. Yeah, kind of like how they want to use it. Okay. So a Polero can act as a spiritual medium, and that's the person who performs the ceremonies or the rituals. Right. The spirits that Poleros are in contact with are both ancestral and of the natural world. Worship for Poleros, it centers on the communication with the deities by using iron or clay pots called Ngagas. I've heard that before. The Ngaga is to a Polero what an altar is to a Catholic priest. So no, we're talking about Lady Ngaga. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so <laughs> the Ngaga is very important to them. Okay. It is said that the Ngaga comes alive with a spirit, and the word palo in Spanish means stick, and that's used a lot too. So the palo or the stick is what goes into the pot or the ngaga along with earth, bones, seasonings, not seasonings. Seasonings? <laughs> not seasonings. Holy shit. Herbs. You, you know, sorry. Palo can be used for the betterment of people or for protection, but its dark rituals involve human and animal remains and even grave robbing. Okay. And that part is practiced in secrecy. Okay. Yeah. Adolfo was still an infant when his mother moved to San Juan, Puerto Rico with her family. Delia met and married a businessman. Adolfo would become an altar boy in a local Roman Catholic church. Wow. He played tennis and he got good grades. In 1972, the family moved back to Miami seeking medical care for Adolfo's stepfather. He, he had cancer. Oh, damn. Yeah, and he actually died in 1973. Oh, okay. So after the stepfather died, Adolfo started his full-time apprenticeship with a Haitian priest. A Haitian priest? Yeah, because he's fixing to start really learning the Palo Mayombe. Uh-huh. Together, him and his priest that he was studying with robbed graves and they would spill blood over voodoo dolls to curse their enemies the hell at 14 adolfo fathered a child with a 13 year old girl whose mother forbade them to have any further contact the girl's mother would adopt their child as her own okay adolfo quit school after the ninth grade but he did earn his ged Nothing wrong with that. No, nothing wrong with that. But we still don't like him. So anyways, <laughs> his mother, Delia, was a habitual criminal. She was arrested 30 times on various charges ranging from trespassing to shoplifting, check fraud, grand theft, and child neglect. Wow. Yeah, her charges never stuck and she always got off with like probation. And she credited this to palo miombe credited what that she got off all the time yes but she got probation that's still not jail time to her <laughs> okay but it's still being convicted of something right but okay. look we can't make it make sense no uh you're right because we're not involved in it if 
if it was working, then she you wouldn't, wouldn't be convicted called. at well. She yeah, she wouldn't have got caught, you know, or yeah. convicted. So <laughs> I'm, I'm calling bullshit. Yeah, she would leave rental houses vandalized. They would be blood stained and littered with the remnants of sacrificial animals. Okay, that's just being an asshole. That's being an asshole. Neighbors would whisper that Delia was a witch, and if you angered her. You were likely to find a headless goat or chickens on your doorstep. Bitch, you better come get this. <laughs> Take all these flies with you, too. Right? By 1976, Delia said that Adolfo had begun to display psychic powers. He would predict future events with amazing accuracy. <laughs> Months before the 1981 shooting of President Ronald Reagan by John Hinckley, Adolfo predicted the event and proclaimed that Reagan would survive his wounds. Now, nobody else corroborates this. This is just his mama saying he said this. But nobody else has come forward and been like, I was there when he said that. So Only his mama. Only his mama. So, so he's a mama's boy. Yeah. Okay. He also told his mother that he didn't think Marilyn Monroe's death was a suicide. I don't either. Yeah, a lot of people think that. He also began having out-of-body experiences, and he started healing the sick. Can you give some examples of this shit? No, this is from his... <laughs> these. This part is from his mother's mouth. Oh, okay. Which we said a couple of paragraphs ago that she was a criminal. So, so she's trying to be the mother of Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry, Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Yeshua. By 1983, Adolfo pledged himself to Caddy and Pembe, which is his religion's version of Satan. Wow. He devoted himself to the worship of evil for profit. See where we're going? What the fuck does that mean? You'll find out. Okay. A modeling assignment took Adolfo to Mexico City in 1983. There, he spent his free time telling fortunes with tarot cards. During his first year in Mexico, he fathered <clears throat> another child. This child lives with its mother. Good. Adolfo became intertwined with the Mexican elite. They would seek his advice on when to release an album, which movie to produce, or when to sell a piece of land. These people, like, worshipped him. If these people are worshiping him, they have to have witnessed something. Why? Though? I think it's just luck on what he predicts. Okay. He offered ritual cleansings for those who felt enemies had cursed them, and he charged for everything that he did. Okay. Some people would pay up to $4,500 for a single ceremony. It didn't go into detail like what the ceremonies would be. I don't know what they're paying $4,500 for. He also established a menu for sacrificial beast. Roosters were going for $6 a head. Goats for $30. Boa constrictors for $450. This fool could get a zebra, and he would charge $1,100. And African lion cubs were listed at $3,100. Okay. And there's actually a market for this. When I was doing my research, there's like websites and stuff you can go to. I didn't go to them because I didn't want something to happen to me and somebody come look at my search history and be like, what the fuck was she into? So mm. 
I didn't go look. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah. His clients would frequently take him to high-class resorts, and he would eventually develop ties with drug smugglers. The cartel? Yes. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. His first disciples or followers were Martin Quintana Rodriguez, Jorge Montez, and Omar Orea Ochoa. Adolfo seduced both Quintana and Orea, and he would claim one was his man and one was his woman. Whoa. And it's like... You, you join this guy and he immediately makes you a woman? Yeah. Come on now. Which I didn't, I didn't understand. I mean, they were his lovers, but it's like, why did you have to proclaim one a woman? Why couldn't you right. just be like, that's my man? I mean, if you're... If you're going to be a homosexual, be a homosexual. Right. Okay, don't proclaim be, that, hey, this is my woman. Yeah. Be so like, he's bisexual. Yes. Okay. But, I mean. But he's not with a woman. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, he has kids. Yeah. I mean, I know, but it's like, why are you trying to make this man be a woman? Then just go find you a woman. Right. Yeah. Just be like, that's my man's. Adolfo charmed wealthy drug dealers he would help them schedule shipments and meetings based on his predictions i'd love to know how he did that he was very um charming that's what i read he was very charming but yeah but the cartel is not run by stupid people well apparently some of them might be Uh, i don't know i mean shit for a price he offered magic that would make gangsters and their bodyguards invisible to police. Oh, come on. And it would make them bulletproof against their enemies. One dealer in Mexico <laughs> City paid him $40,000 for magical services over three years' time. Come on now. I mean, can now I look, test that? Now, look, listen. <laughs> I know we're sitting here like, oh, my God, I can't believe these people did that. But you got to think about it. Just reading into this... There's a lot of belief that they are tied to, like magic and stuff. Like, they believe. You know, we grew up here in the States with religious backgrounds, so we weren't really exposed to, like, the magical side of things. But down, but in Mexico, I mean, I'm not saying all of them, but I'm saying it's probably more accepted there, and it's probably why it was easier for him to be like that. Well... Members of my family actually did grow up learning the magical background of the voodoo. And it it's a thing. I mean, yeah. it really is a thing. And if you do a lot of research on things like this, voodoo is, if you believe in it, it's real. Right. I didn't necessarily grow up learning all of that, but I, I can't knock it. So I'm not... I don't want you to think that I'm discounting their beliefs because a lot of members of my family believe that there are magical, you know, aspects of voodoo. Right. And I'm not saying that you're discounting their beliefs. I'm just saying that to me, that's probably why it was so easy for them to believe this con man. True. And look at, the 1500s and the 1600s with the witches yeah and stuff all the witch trials that happened across the world not just the united states but the world 
they didn't have any proof. No, that was literally my neighbor gave me a fucked up look today, and I'm mad at that bitch. So she's a witch. She's a witch. And then they would get her and torture her and hang her or or set her on fire or whatever. They didn't have any proof. The Cajun culture believes that voodoo is real because they've seen it. Mm-hmm. They've seen things and stuff. What I'm asking you is, are these people, is this man doing the things that they're seeing? I mean, at some point, he had to have been. Because, I mean, they're dropping, like this one dealer dropped $40,000. I know. That's what's so odd to me. Yeah. So Because we've been talking about it the past couple of days about predicting mm-hmm. week one NFL games. And... Gavin and I have been back and forth on a couple of the games and things like this, but I mean, we put money on it. If we are successful, it doesn't make us a profit. No. It doesn't make us where, you know, people need to follow us or anything like that because we have all these prediction powers and things. No, we just look at the logic behind how we pick our games and things. Anybody can be right mm-hmm. 50% of the time. It has to be more than than the predictions that he's showing them. So, I guess my question is, is he magical? I I don't know. I, I can't say that because I didn't yeah I know you weren't see, there. But. Yeah, I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, you, these the cartel members and these people in Mexico City paying him these thousands of dollars. There has to be something that he's showing them. Right. I mean, there had to have been something because the cartel leaders are not dumb people right and for them to be behind all this you kind of have to wonder yeah i don't know he could have been doing it i don't know could have been adolfo also appealed to high-ranking law enforcement officers (laughs) okay it just keeps getting better i know at least four members of the federal judicial police joined Adolfo's cult in Mexico City. The Federales. Yeah. He had members of the Federales. Yes. Salvador Garcia Alarcon was a commander in charge of narcotics investigations, and Florentino Ventura Gutierrez retired from the Federales to head the Mexican branch of Interpol. So them two were for sure tied up with wow adolfo wow in 1986 ventura introduced adolfo to the drug dealing calzada family which was then one of mexico's dominant narcotics cartels he won the dealers over with his charm he profited immensely from his contacts with the gang by early 1987, he was able to pay 60 grand in cash for a condominium in Mexico City, and he bought himself a fleet of luxury cars that included an $80,000 Mercedes. Wow. When he was not working magic for the Calzadas or other clients, he would stage scams of his own. He once posed as a DEA agent to rip off a Guadalajara cocaine dealer and then he sold that stash through his police contacts and he got a hundred thousand dollars damn i know 
So eventually, Adolfo began to feed his Ngaga with the offerings of human sacrifice. Oh, shit. Yeah. And after about a year with the Calzada family, he became to believe that his magical powers were responsible for their success and survival. So in April of 1987, he went to them and he demanded a full partnership. Oh, okay. And how much of uh, their profits is he willing to, you know, is he asking for there? Well, they were like, you know what? That's a good idea. Oh, come on. No, they were like, "Uh uh-uh, homie, you don't forgot your place. (laughs) Okay, that sounds a lot better. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds more accurate. Well, he wasn't happy about that, so he began plotting revenge. Okay. On April 30th of 1987, Guillermo Calzada Sanchez and six members of his household vanished under mysterious circumstances. Hmm. They were reported missing on May the 1st. Police noted that melted candles and other evidence of a strange religious ceremony was at Calzada's office. Wow. Six days later, officers began fishing mutilated remains from the Zampongo River. Seven corpses would be recovered, all bearing signs of torture. There was missing fingers, missing toes, missing ears, missing hearts, missing genitals. One body was missing a spine. Damn. Two corpses was missing their brains. Okay. So the missing body parts obviously ended up in Adolfo's Ngaga for his rituals. They, okay. Yeah. That's, that's why those body parts were missing. Okay. Because he took them and used them in his Ngaga. These parts would build up his strength for greater conquests that were yet to come. Okay, buddy. So we're here in July 1987, and we're fixing to meet our next antagonist. (laughs) Is that the word? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Sarah Maria Aldrete Villarreal was born on September the 6th, 1964. She was the daughter of a Matamoros electrician. She would cross the border to attend Porter High School in Brownsville. Her teachers remembered her as a model student and a good kid. Okay. In 1985, Sarah applied for and received resident alien status in the U.S. She enrolled at Texas Southmost College. She was admitted on a work-study program. This would defer part of her tuition. She began classes in January of 1986 as a physical education major. She would hold down two part-time jobs as an aerobics teacher and an assistant secretary in the school's athletic department. Okay. By the end of her first semester, Sarah stood out physically and academically. She stood at six foot one. Damn. Which it said was unusually tall for a Mexican woman. Yeah. But her grades were excellent. She was on the honor roll. She organized and led a booster club for the TSC soccer team. And she earned the school's Outstanding Physical Education Award. Sarah lived with her parents in Matamoros. 
they had constructed a special outside stairway to her second floor room so that way she could have privacy in her comings and goings. Okay. She was at home most weekends and during school vacations. She was looking forward to the completion of her studies and she was going to transfer to a four-year school that would actually get her a PE teaching degree. She was attractive and popular. In 1987, she was dating Gilberto Sosa, who was a drug dealer associated with the powerful Hernandez family. She was also secretly practicing Palo Mayombe. Really? Yeah. So, there's two ways the story goes. I'm going to say both of them. You take with it what you will. So, it says on July 30th of 1987, Sarah was driving through Matamoros when a shiny new Mercedes cut her off in traffic and they narrowly avoided a collision where the driver of the Mercedes was Adolfo. Okay. But another story says that she was walking down the sidewalk and he was walking down the sidewalk and they instantly noticed each other and were like, hey. Love at first sight. Yeah, so they were either driving or they were walking. They were doing something. So they just met up on the road somehow or a sidewalk. Somehow. They met met somewhere. (laughs) There was an instant chemistry between them. And I don't know how they got in this discussion when they first met, but it Adolfo noted that Sarah shared the same birthday as his mother. Okay. So it's like y'all just met somewhere on a street and you're like, what's your birthday? <laughs> so I don't, that, yeah. was, that was weird to me, but okay, whatever. What's your sign, girl? And your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> he called his mother that same day and he told her that he was in love. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But this meeting was no accident. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Adolfo had been watching Gilberto Sosa. So the meeting with Sarah was carefully staged, as was their friendship and her gradual introduction into the occult. Two weeks after their first encounter, Adolfo met Sarah and Sosa in Brownsville, and he made it a point to refuse to shake Sosa's hand. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Days later, an anonymous caller told Sosa that Sarah was seeing another man. Oh, shit. And he said, girl, bye. (laughs) So, Sarah turned to Adolfo for comfort. Oh, I'm sure she did. Yeah. And he told her, girl, I seen this breakup coming in my tarot cards. (laughs) Did he say it like that? No, probably not like that. (laughs) Girl, let me tell you. (laughs) But that's what he told her. Probably not like that, but that's how I hear he said it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, their romantic relationship didn't last long because he still had his men's. So, but she didn't care because she was more interested in the religious aspect, aspect of their relationship. Okay. And Adolfo's like, you know what? Sarah's attractive, so I can start using her as bait. Okay. To attract males so we can abduct them. (laughs) And then, of course, you know, do what we do. (laughs) Do what we do. Adolfo also begins to probe Sarah's links to the Hernandez clan. 
because you know the other cartel was like no you you ain't getting a piece of this pie right so he's like well i'm getting a piece of pie from somewhere i need some pie right i like pie so adolfo told told sarah he predicted that the leader of the hernandez clan elio would soon approach her for advice about a problem elio did approach her in november of 1987 and sarah's like i got somebody i need you to meet <laughs> so he was introduced to adolfo the brains Her- <laughs> i want brains the hernandez family would easily be taken over adolfo persuaded elio and the rest of his family that palo mayombe could solve all their problems but you said he took over the family he took over the gang yes oh my goodness yeah their enemies could be eliminated during sacrificial rituals and those rituals in turn would keep the family and its employees safe from harm now the mexican people are big for the most part are huge on religion Mm -hmm. and when they see and family and family that's right and when they see the mutilation that's going to be going on or has been going on or whatever and they basically connect it to some sort of spiritual ritual type stuff they get really scared or anybody who's really religious gets really scared and so i i can kind of see the power that comes with what he's doing here oh that's true you see what i'm saying yeah because this is just being done to scare people it's being done to create fear yeah and the more fear the more that's power out there the more has. power he has yeah. exactly if the hernandez family was faithful to adolfo his disciples would become invisible to the authorities and bulletproof in combat i just don't get that part yeah can I test that theory no, with them? No. I'd love to. In return for this, all Adolfo asked for was 50% of the profits and effective control of the family. And they were like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can have some of this money. Yeah. And you can control our family. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're not blood related, but yeah, you know what? Go ahead. Yeah. Adolfo would move the cult's headquarters to Rancho Santa Elena. This was 20 miles outside of Matamoros. Here, his rituals would become more sadistic. More sadistic? Oh, yeah. On May 28th of 1988, Adolfo shot a drug dealer and a farmer, but those sacrifices didn't satisfy him. So, on July 16th in Mexico City, he supervised the torture and dismemberment of a former lover of cult member Jorge Montes. Mm. These fools dumped the remains on a public street in front of children. It's the fear. I guess. Anyways, the children ran shrieking to summon police. Wow. I mean, of all... did you have to do it in front of children? You couldn't wait till some adults came out and then dumped them? So, in front of children, this is had to happen in the middle of the day. Yeah. Broad daylight. Yeah. Wow. That's fucked up. It is. 
Adolfo told his followers that the demons he served were more likely to smile on a sacrifice that died in agony. He said they must die screaming. Okay. In November of 1988, after 35-year-old cult member Jorge Valente de Fierro Gomez violated Adolfo's ban on using drugs because the members of the cult were not allowed to use drugs. So this member here... I mean, you got to have morals. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I mean, you know... But it's like... Don't get high on your own supply. Right? Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's money. <laughs> Damn. So anyways, that member violated that ban, and he became the group's next offering to Caddy and Pembe. There was a competing smuggler, Ezekiel Rodriguez Luna, who was tortured to death on Valentine's Day. Two other dealers happened to be there, Ruben Vela Garza and Ernesto Rivas Diaz. They got added to that list when they wandered into that ceremony uninvited. Oh, shit. So it's like... Wrong place, wrong time. Ex- exactly. <laughs> yeah. They're like, okay, well, we'll just sacrifice you too then. Nine days what after... What the fuck did I just walk into? <laughs> Your death. Yeah. <laughs> Nine days after that, the cult kidnapped another stranger, and that, and that person was never identified, on February... In, I want to stop right here. You know, I said they would get Sarah to go and lure yeah. men. So, Bait. like some of these, like the competing smuggler, I'm sure she didn't have to lure. But like this stranger that they, that was never identified, I'm sure that was probably one of the ones that she went out there. I got you. Because he would tell her, I'm looking for a person like this. Like somebody with big muscles because this spell I'm fixing to do. It needs more muscle in it. It don't make sense to me, but it did to them. So she would like go out and find somebody that was muscular. So he's he, he putting this recipe together like I need a little dash of salt and I need a, a little bit of little muscle. bit of little bit of pepper and and then a little bit of muscle. Yeah, basically. And some brains. I mean, because if you if you think about it, it basically is a recipe. Like I need this uh i know i said seasoning earlier you did why does that keep coming to my mind i don't know i need this uh i mean we're not like you know this isn't the cajun ninja or anybody <laughs> like that you know i guess because we're sitting in the dining room and like i'm facing our spice cabinet yeah. maybe that's why i keep thinking of seasoning maybe but like i need this plant or i need this spider or i need this snake venom. ingredients yes on February 25th, the cultist accidentally kidnapped Jose Garcia, mm. who was Elio's 14-year-old cousin. Oh, shit. They slayed him and then recognized their error. After they slayed him? Yeah, it's like, y'all didn't look at him before y'all did it? I mean, really? I mean, that's kind of late to realize your error. Uh, you better go beg for mercy yeah, at this I mean, point. Did, were y'all like, oh, man, that was Elio's cousin. Did they continue with the ritual? Hell yeah. Oh, well, then they didn't. That wasn't an accident in my eyes. Even if it was, obviously they didn't give a shit. Yeah. Police officer Saul Hernandez Luna was bowled to death 
Boiled? Boiled. Because cult members thought he was after another one of their cult members. He was boiled to death. Like he was alive when they put yes. him in there. Yes. Oh, yes. man. I, I, can Im- I can't even imagine. Adolfo was sitting on 800 kilos of marijuana that was stolen from another gang. But he felt that he needed one more sacrifice to guarantee the safe shipment across the Rio Grande. So was he trying to sacrifice the entire federal government of the United States? Because that's who's going to stop him. Right. So another ritual was staged on March 13th, 1989, but the victim's suffering was insufficient to Adolfo. Wow. So he tells his followers, bring me someone I can use, someone with a good brain to help the spirits think better. Oh, my God. And this is when they brought him Mark Kilroy. So, like I said, they spotted Mark about 2 a.m. They called him over to the truck because one of them did speak English. Mark told him, he's like, ooh, I'm drunk. And they're like, oh, well, you know what? We can give you a ride into Brownsville. Mark's like, okay. So, he got in the truck, and they don't head toward Brownsville. And they actually, they're, they're headed toward the he's ranch. He's standing at the bridge. I mean, he's, like, right there. I mean, as soon as they make a three-point U-turn, mm-hmm. it's like, where are you going, bro? All you had to do was hit the gas. Put right. it in drive and hit the gas. Mm-hmm. Come on. So they stopped and used the bathroom before they got to the ranch, and Mark actually got loose and took off running. But they caught him. Damn. And they tied him up and put him in back of a truck. So when they got to the ranch... Adolfo and Sarah weren't there because they had went somewhere. I don't know. So they called Adolfo and Sarah and they're like, hey, we got what you asked for. And they're like, oh, we'll be there tomorrow. So they left Mark in back of this truck tied up. And he was in back of this truck for like 12 hours. Damn. So there was an actual caretaker who took care of the ranch. And he noticed Mark in back of the truck. Now, he didn't like really get involved because obviously he knew there was some bad shit going on but he did offer Mark some bread and water and Mark took it and Mark was he said Mark was trying to tell him stuff but he's like I I didn't understand English so I didn't know what he was saying Yeah. so the difference between Mark and the other victims was that he was actually white Okay. and the other victims were all Hispanic So were all the other victims from Mexico, and he's the only one from the U.S.? Yes. Okay. Which is, I guess, why there was a little bit more emphasis put into, because the U.S. did get involved. Okay. So Mark had an uncle that was employed by the U.S. Customs Service. Oh, shit. And the heat was immediate. There was a $15,000 reward information leading to Mark's safe recovery or the arrest of his abductors. Okay. American officials were keeping a close eye on the case while the Matamoros police interrogated 127 known criminals. And let me tell you about their interrogation process. I was like... Did they waterboard them? (laughs) No. But they used clubs... And they used carbonated water that was laced with hot sauce that they would spray into a suspect's nostrils. 
Nice. I'm just like, I there's, can't believe they did this. There's that seasoning you was talking about. Yeah, sure. Also, during the time during this time period when there's a search for Mark, it was also a time when Mexican authorities were busy with their anti-drug campaign. So what they did was they erected roadblocks every so every so often. It was that random. On April the first of 1989, Serafine Hernandez Garcia drove past a police checkpoint outside Matamoros, and he was oblivious to the uniformed officers guarding the highway. And do you know why he was oblivious or acted oblivious? Why? Was because of the Palo Mayombe. They couldn't see him. Or so he thought. <laughs> but they synced him. I'm sure they did. Seraphine was also a law enforcement major at Texas Southmost College. He actually got involved in the cult through Sarah. Oh. Yeah. So law enforcement, they synced him. They pursued him to Rancho. As, as they would have. <laughs> right. <I mean. laughs> You didn't see anything. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> kind of like John Cena, you can't see me. <laughs> well, they pursued him to Rancho Santa Elena. A quick search of the property revealed occult paraphernalia and traces of marijuana. Mm. Eight days later, the police would return and arrest Seraphine and another drug dealer named David Cerna Valdez. This time... The police found over 200 pounds of marijuana. I mean, okay. With them two in custody, they were relaxed and even defiant. And they believed that the police could not hold them because they were protected by a power over and above man's law. You didn't see any drugs? You didn't we're protected see that? by Harambe. <laughs> Wasn't that the gorilla? Huh? Wasn't that the gorilla that was shot? I don't know. So these two fools were in jail, and the detectives took the caretaker back to the station. While he's there, he notices the pictures of Mark around the police station. He's like, I know him. It's kind of hard to miss a picture in Mexico <laughs> at true. a police station of a missing white guy. That's true. You know? Well, he noticed the pictures, and he told the police he's like i know him and they're like whoa wait mm -hmm. a minute how do you know him and he's like i fed him when he was tied up and they're like oh shit tell and, us everything and he starts spilling it and he names the other members of the hernandez drug syndicate and he says they were frequent visitors to the ranch so the police go back and they talk to seraphine and he's like yeah I participated in the abduction of Mark and his murder. Yeah, just matter-of-factly, I did. Because nothing's going to happen to him. nothing's going to happen. Okay. So. Did they shoot him on the spot? Sarah, <laughs> listen to this. Seraphine was not bright at all. You're finna find out. Okay. So police are like, well, you know what? Let's go back to that ranch, and you're going to point out where Mark is buried. So they go back to the ranch. He pointed to where Mark was buried, and they're like, get over there and dig. <laughs> and so he dug, and he's, he's just standing there bewildered, and they're like, 
what what's wrong with you and he's like why are y'all only interested in him when we got all these other bodies buried oh, out here damn yes he did and they're like what more bodies show us yeah guess what you get to dig and so at one point when he was digging he was actually some of these bodies had been there for a little while so as he was digging like the stench and um he was like he asked them he's like can i get a mask and they're like for what and he was like well because of the stench and they're like the stench didn't bother you when you buried them wow yeah and i was like good for y'all yeah Seraphine pointed out the cult's private graveyard. He used a shovel and, and dug up 12 bodies that were buried in a row. All the victims were men. Some had been shot at close range. Others had been hacked to death with a machete. And then detectives noticed that there was a nearby shed. They went in it. And the cult's engaga was filled with blood, spiders, scorpions, 28 sticks, or the palos, and Mark's brain. Just one brain? Just one brain. Mark's. Some of the federal police that were on the scene would not enter the shed. Because going back to what you said a few minutes ago, that they're scared of stuff like that, they would not enter the shed. They were like, uh-uh. Yeah. Four members of the Hernandez family were arrested on April the 9th. In total, the butchered remains of 15 victims would be Found over the next six days because besides the 12 that were buried in the row in that row three more were found in a nearby orchard the bodies were taken to two funeral homes except for marks because he was identified so people with missing family members could attempt to identify damn yeah those members of the cult that were arrested they just started dishing they didn't care so they started telling all their secrets about all the murders they did. And yeah, so Adolfo, Sarah, Martin Quintana, Omar Araya, and a Hernandez family hitman named Alvaro de Leon Valdez, or El Doobie. That was his nickname. No. Yes, it was. No. And I was like, that's pretty awesome. You know, that's what they call Willie Nelson in Mexico. Is it really? No. Oh. That's the first thing I thought about, though, when you said that (laughs) shit is Willie Nelson. Well, this is his nickname. And I was like, (laughs) that's pretty cool. But you're... mm." Anyways, they went on the run. So the news came out, and people that knew Sarah were stunned because she was this college student. You know, she... Very promising college student. Yeah. She was on the honor roll. She was on this booster club. Wow. And they said they noticed that she always had a lot of cash, but no one really asked her why you got all that money. Because when she became involved with Adolfo, I mean, he was making it rain on her with money, too. I'm sure. She drove fancy cars and had the clothes and the jewelry. So they're on the run. Adolfo got his tarot cards out and he read his betrayal. So he started eyeing the people that were on the run with him more warily. He kept an Uzi close at hand and he rarely slept for more than a few minutes at a time. Now, that's where I have a little bit of a problem. If you believe, this goes back to the followers of Christ, Mm -hmm. okay? If you wholeheartedly believe in your religion, and and what it stands for and that it's going to heal 
those that are sick or injured or whatever and you're not going to seek medical medical attention Mm -hmm. then continue to pray right okay if you believe in what you're selling these people the shit that that you're you're selling that, that, that you're protected why would you need an uzi at your side all the time because it could be as simple as somebody else an enemy maybe had a stronger spell against you because i'm sure it goes back and forth i I don't know i'm assuming i mean that's kind of how voodoo works too but at the same time if you're fully protected i know why do you need the uzi i don't know okay buddy increasingly he threatened those around him with a power exceeding that of the police he told them they cannot kill you but i can but why do you need an Uzi? Why do you need an Uzi then? <laughs> that, that, I mean, shit. So on April the 22nd, because these people are still on the run, the police called in a witch doctor to reverse Adolfo's spells. So this is pretty... No, just listen. This is pretty smart. Do you see that my eyes are rolling into the back of my head and rolling down my spine? Right. Whether we believe in this or not, what is fixing to happen worked adolfo's blood-stained ritual shed was burned to the ground a picture of adolfo was burned in his nganga then holy water was spread over the graves this was televised all of this was done on tv and adolfo saw it in mexico yes so we can't get that on youtube (laughs) oh we probably could we need to try to find that. We do need to try and find that. Well, anyways, it worked because Adolfo saw it and he was livid. I'm sure. Yeah. Three days after this, the group would settle into their last hideout, which was an apartment in Mexico City. So on May 6th of 1989, police actually showed up at these apartments, but they were going door to door looking for a missing child. Okay. So they weren't there for them. But Adolfo saw the police when they showed up from a window, and he's thinking, oh, shit, they're here for us, mm-hmm. even though they weren't. Mm-hmm. So he just opens fire with his machine gun. Oh, my God. Within moments, there would be 180 policemen surrounding <laughs> the apartment returning fire, and this lasted for about 45 minutes. Damn. Only, How many bullets did he have? I don't know. Damn. And with all of this, only one person was wounded, and it was the officer that was struck when Adolfo first started shooting. Wow. So all this went on, Adolfo's like, yeah, we're not going to be able to escape. So he handed his machine gun to El Duby and issued new orders. And he told El Duby, you need to kill me and Quintana. And El Doobie's like, I I can't kill y'all. But Adolfo hit him in the face and said that everything would go bad for him, meaning El Doobie in hell. So El Doobie was like, okay, then. So Adolfo and Quintana hugged, and El Doobie just started shooting them with a machine gun. So they died right then. Took the easy way out. Unbelievable. So, Adolfo and Quintana were dead. Obviously, when the police stormed the apartment, they were slumped together in a closet. The three survivors, El Duby, Orea, and Sarah, were arrested, and they were sent to jail. 
when they were in custody, El Duby admitted to shooting Adolfo, but he cheerfully informed the police the Godfather will not be dead for long. So apparently he can raise from the dead, too. I don't know. Come on now. But he hasn't. Fourteen cult members would be indicted on various charges, including multiple murder, weapons, and narcotics violations, conspiracy, and obstruction of justice. Sarah insisted that she never practice any religion but Christian Centuria, and when she seen the televised reports of the murders at Rancho Santa Elena, she was surprised. I'm sure. Sarah was sentenced to 62 years in prison. American authorities stand ready to prosecute Sarah, El Duby, and Hernandez for Mark's murder if they are ever released from Mexican custody. Mm. And that's the end of that story. Oh, my God. Oh, man. So, I was actually looking through. Um, there are a lot of videos on Is this. It? Yeah. It shows his house, his mansion. He had a mansion. Yeah. That's crazy. So all this happened in 1989. Mm -hmm. There is a video of the guy that was showing them the... Mm -hmm. Seraphine? Graves, yeah, Mm -hmm. and stuff. There's a video of that. So this is absolutely insane because this man was able to con a lot of different people a lot of smart people yeah too and and had them believing that they were invisible yeah to me that's the part like i can see the people believing in it but when you go as to as far as to tell people you're going to be invisible to me that's a con it that's what i'm saying yeah i mean you know magic is magic whether you believe in it or not, voodoo, magic, whatever you want to believe in, okay, that's one thing. But sitting there saying that you can just blatantly walk right in front of uh, you know the officers of the law and not be seen and be bulletproof and be and then be bulletproof, that's a con. That's a con. Yeah. Walk away. Yeah. About face, walk away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sad. Because there was a lot of people that died. There was a lot of people that died, and that's that's horrific. Yeah, even though there were a drug cartel family. Yeah. There was, what, seven members of that family that died? Yeah, and then all the ones that he offed. Yeah. The 15, because that's not including that seven. Wow. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So 22 people, roughly, that, they, that anybody knows of. Right. So... Yeah, they they did say, which I didn't include it, that there was more, like, bodies that showed up, but they couldn't tie him to it, so I didn't really add. They suspect that he had something to do with it, but they couldn't tie him to it, so it's kind of like, eh, I'll just put in the ones that they know for sure. So, he, you said he was charming. Was he charismatic? Yes. He was very charming, charismatic. He was a male model at one point. Male model? So... People believed the beautiful face. Yeah. I'm wondering what he did, what else he did. What did he show them, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we're never going to know. No, because he but took the like, easy way out. He took the easy way out. Douchebag. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
I, I, I mean, another fantastic story. Thank you. Thank and I do, yeah. I have two things I want to say. I do plan on eventually getting back on the re- religious healing or whatever. It's just, I want to just take a break from that for a little bit. I agree with you. I mean, I you mean, know, that we, was rough talking about all them kids and stuff that could be prevented. Oh, oh, this could have been prevented. Yeah, this could have been prevented too. You know, I mean, and it's kind of in the along the same lines. It's not necessarily worded the same, but cult versus a religious following of yeah. sorts. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Anyway. And one other thing, um, I went back and I listened to our episode on Joe Glenowitz. Glenowitz. Um, I noticed in it that at one point I told you I was going to slap the shit out of you. And I just wanted to point out, I'm sure most people probably know I was joking. No, um, she wasn't. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> we do not condone domestic violence. No. And we I, we do joke around and be like, I'm going to choke you or I'm going to slap the shit out of you. But neither one of us would ever lay our hands on the other. So no, no absolutely you, not. If you hear that in our episodes, we are just joking. Yeah, that's right. She's never she's never raised her hand at me in vain. So, I'm I'm just I'm I'm not I'm I'm so passive. I'm not. You're not. But <laughs> but I'm not saying that as oh my god he raised his hand to me because he never has. Well, I think people need to understand. You know the way that I grew up and things, I am a violent person. There's no doubt about it. But in my years, I mean, in my years, I have come to realize that there's more to be violent for. There's better things to be violent for. And that's if someone ever touches or harms my family, the ones that I love and things, that's when I'm going to get violent with that person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I've never raised my hand to my wife. No. And I never will. I just, I don't like people that hurt weaker people. Are you calling me weak? No. I am, though. I'm saying like the coast-to-coast killer. Yeah, that was horrible. You give me seven and a half minutes, and I'm saying that, you know, usually people say, give me five minutes with them. No, give me seven and a half. Because you're going to enjoy all seven. I'm going to enjoy all seven and a half of those minutes. I gotcha. And... Like I said, I've figured out over the years that there's better things to be violent about. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, protection is the number one thing. Right. Anyway, so we have a bonus episode that's going to be coming up. I've done some research on that, and um, it's going to be a good one. I'm telling you, it's going to be uploaded to our Patreon page. So, please, if you haven't already, go by and subscribe. We have tiers from $1.50 a month to up to $10. All of the tiers get the same benefits. It's just uh, some like to donate more than others, and that's fine. If you want to do the $1.50, that is fine with us. Created that for those that are like us. We struggle with buying groceries these days. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) So... We try to make it as as easy as possible to stay up to date with all the information that we're putting out, all the content that we're putting out. So please do not hesitate. Go by our Patreon page and subscribe. 
We have other episodes that we're going to be recording, regular episodes. Those will be uploaded to your regular platforms. So please be sure to like and subscribe on those platforms that you listen to us on so you get the notifications of when we do update or upload new content. Until those next episodes, I'm Paul. And I'm Jamie. And please join us next time. And remember to stay disturbed. Bye. Bye.